I can I can hear something, man. That you need to just I'm shocked that I had never heard of this guy. I watched that video the first time and I ugly cried. This has got, it's got my wheels turning and, and that's the Jesus that Mormons believe in. Dallas Jenkins. Is that the Jesus that you presented in this video, in this TV series? Welcome back to Unsolicited, episode 73. I'm your host, Norm, the Master's Dog Dunham, a.k.a. the Evangelical Norm. So unsolicited is just that. It is my unsolicited opinion on arts and entertainment as it intersects with the Christian worldview. Movies, books, TV shows, music, mostly music is what I do. That's kind of the wheelhouse that I live in. So once in a while, a, a TV show or something will show up um, that I, I, I have to talk about. Um, movies, whatever, you know, again, what, as I can, I do, but most of it is, is just Christian hip hop. That's where, you know, honestly, those of you who watch the, the podcast or listen, you know, that's where, um, my, I don't want to call it expertise because I'm not by no means am I an expert in, in music or anything, but I'm a fan. And so that's where I come. My opinion comes from my, uh, my opinion as a fan. So some of my stuff is solicited. I've had artists or people send me stuff and say, Hey, will you take a look at this and let me know what you think? I will always be honest, um, with this. If I don't like it, I'm going to say and give, you know, if it's an artist that sends it to me, I'm going to try to give some constructive criticism, but again, take it with a grain of salt. I don't make music. I do podcasts and give my opinion. So Take that as it may. But I will always be honest. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I like something that I don't like. I get guys that will send me a lot of, like, theolitical kind of stuff. Credit for that word to Kirk Kennedy. Um, you know, Tom McDonald, Adam Calhoun, Struggle Jennings, these videos that are kind of hip-hop, but they, they have that real political worldview thing going on in them. Guys will send me that and ask me my opinion, and I'll give you my honest opinion. But usually, if it's something out there that I don't like, I really don't deal with it much. I don't see any purpose in dragging someone's name through the mud unless someone gives me a reason to do so. Or it's just absolutely blasphemous, heretical, something like that. And then usually, I'll deal with that over on the Master's Dog podcast. So, that's a long introduction for... Uh, those of you who are new, just kind of background on the podcast, so on... Uh, Lots of new subscribers. Well, at least one to two a week. Um, usually one or two every time I drop a video, I get one or two new subscribers. And really, I owe it to you guys who watch, like, comment, share. All those things makes 
Mr. Algorithm, and I was calling him Algorithm before Space Jam did, so I did not steal that from them. Uh, he sends that video out to more and more people who might like it because of the interaction you do with it. So thank you all very much who have done that. If you haven't already, hit like, subscribe. Uh, well, don't hit like yet. I don't. I never ask anyone to hit like until the end of the video. If you like it, like it. If you don't, don't hit like. You can hit dislike. I can take all that smoke. But subscribe. If you haven't already, subscribe. Hit the notification button. Get all the content that I release here on the Evangelical Norm Network on YouTube. So that's a long introduction. I was I was chastised by by someone the other day for having a such a long introduction. Four minutes, five minutes before we even got to the main subject. Um, I'm sorry. I like to give the the background. So today I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And I am going to give a review of my vacation destination, which was the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. So last week we went to, two weeks ago, um, over my birthday, we took off, went to um, Kentucky and visited the creation museum and the ark encounter and i really wanted to talk about it because i was amazed by what is going on there and i want to give some friendly advice for those of you who might be going and an, a glowing endorsement to say go if you can if you you can make that trip let this be like our christian mecca not in the sense of you know any kind of salvific work that is done there this is just a place that as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we should visit. We should visit and support. So I'm not saying you, you have to go there in order to complete the seven pillars of Christianity. Um, you know, go because it's an amazing place to go to. So my first bit of advice, we did not do this. We stayed in Williamstown, which is, I mean, we were literally, you know, less than a mile away from the Ark Encounter. Uh, could have walked to it if it wasn't raining the whole time we were there. But um, it was, uh, I would say, go to the Creation Museum first. So that's the first thing is the Creation Museum is very much a museum. There is so much information that is there to be received, to be, again, it's like, Almost like that, that fire hose uh, situation. A lot of what we got from, and we still haven't sat down and done it, my wife and I want to do this, is I took a lot of pictures, and I'm going to show you some of those pictures today, um, of stuff that we just didn't have the time to really take in every little bit of it. So our plan is to you know sit down one of these days, sit in front of the TV, put the pictures up there, and look at them and read them and kind of get on a just a, a slower pace all the stuff that is there so why i would say go to the creation museum first is because there is so much walking and stuff going on or if you're going to go to the ark encounter first have a day in the middle so we went ark encounter immediately the next day went to the creation museum we were all pretty uh, kind of worn out from walking and stuff like that so i don't think we got the full effect of the creation museum, but we got an effect and, and you'll, you'll see it. Cause I still haven't been able to, to, to go through what I experienced at this place without getting emotional. So prepare for, for, for norm tears again. Um, 
So I'm going to jump over here to my reaction video screen and we are going to pop up our video of the Creation Museum and check this out. So starting off, of course, you're going to get um, a lot of, I didn't mean to stop that, I meant to pause it. So you're going to get a lot of the uh, worldview contrast. So throughout the place, you'll see, and you'll see in a couple of pictures here, uh, where they'll give you the secular worldview attitude about certain things, evolution, creation, and so on, how we got here, and then the biblical worldview. And there's such a good uh, presentation of the comparison of the two. So this is Lucy. Um, Lucy being the, you know, the typical uh, common ancestor that is talked about between humans and apes and so on. Um, but this is kind of a cool feature because I've always brought this up, but this is really cool to have where they show on these little plastic screens, these blue bones. These are the actual bones that were found, fossils that were found, used to speculate what Lucy would look like. So they didn't find a whole skeleton. Lucy is not a complete fossil like you'll see Ebenezer, the, the dinosaur later on, uh, was close to a, a 100% uh, fossilized uh, skeleton. Lucy is very uh, partial in her, her uh, put-togetherness, uh, if that's a word it is now. Um, so you can see on this back wall behind her, the uh, this is the not the actual, but a replica of the actual bones. So we've got a couple of arm bones here and there, some ribs, uh, bits and pieces of a skull and a jawbone, and then parts of the uh, other leg that we'll see here. And so this is, again, to recognize that most of what we see and what is presented by science, and, and I'll, I'll give it to them that it's an educated guess, but it's a guess. It is a speculation. This is not, uh, this is not absolute, uh, we've got the whole skeleton. This is speculative, uh, imaginative, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to give credit, educated speculation on what she would look like. But again, we have different artist renditions of what Lucy could look like. You know, you can take different people, different artists, different scientists, put together uh, their, their little picture and so on, and this is what you're going to get. There's, there's no definitive scientific absolute of what Lucy is, looks like, uh, attributes or anything like this. The majority of it is speculation. Um, so again, here's where I was telling you the different displays. Why am I here? You get a natural evolutionist worldview and a biblical creationist worldview. I'm not going to go through all of this and read it. Um, I can't read it from my small monitor. You might be able to see it if you want to pause and, and blow the screen up and read some of this. Feel free. But I just did appreciate the presentation of the the two so will justice be served why am i here how will it all end um so on so this is uh you know just different things of 
different people who wrote throughout history of a young earth. So young earth didn't just come out of Ken Ham and Kenneth and, and Ken, is it Ken Hovind? Kent Hovind, Kent Hovind. I forget the dude's name. It's been so long. Um, these guys just didn't imaginate. Uh, that's not really a word, but I, I like to use it because people like to say orientate. Um, they didn't just imagine uh, creation uh, 6,000 years ago. A lot of other people throughout history have given the idea, have, have, have presented the idea that the earth is very young. Not, and, and so again, you know, there's, there's this, this, what is the word I'm looking for? This, this niche uh, group of creation scientists and people try to push them to the side. They're not credible. They're not this. They're just as credible as anyone else. So, um, a lot of these really cool, uh, just tidbits of information about in the beginning of the Creation Museum, mostly so that we can look at and understand why we can trust the Bible. This one, this was really cool, and I've got to move myself out of the way here. Nope, not moving the video, moving myself. Just a moment, let me deal with this. All right, let me get my webcam out of the way. We're going to move me over here. Ooh, sorry about all that jerkiness. Um, if you're listening, you're like, what is he talking about? I'm, I'm video. Uh, I've just moved myself on the screen. So this is a really cool uh, thing that shows, and they do this throughout some of these. In the things that God is doing throughout Scripture, dealing with different pagan societies, there's literally a assault from God upon their false gods, their false deities. God is coming in and he's going, and, and this, it was specifically shown that I saw it was really cool. And I'd never, never seen any kind of presentation like this before, but God in the, the plagues on Egypt, each of these plagues specifically targeted one of their false gods. And the concept or the the purview of that false god. So initially, the first plague, the Nile turned into blood and the fish died, uh, was a um, you know coming at this Egyptian deity Hapti, or I can't read the the second name there that goes by, but or the second uh, god deity there, um, the god of the Nile and the fish goddess. So we see the Nile turned to blood and the fish dying. God is saying, I am more powerful than your gods of these things because your God of these things don't exist. Frogs, Hecht, the frog-headed goddess of fertility. Livestock, um, Hathor, the cow-headed goddess of love. Um, the boils, Imhotep, the god of healing. So God is, is each of these specific plagues hits a, a concept of one of the Egyptian idol, uh, false idol gods. So that was really cool. And then in a lot of the other presentations that they show of different things that God is doing, it shows where he is hitting those specific gods. So um, Yahweh versus the Philistine gods in David. Um, I think we just saw briefly in the other um, Yahweh versus some other gods. Um, so we'll keep going. 
I'm not fast enough to pause in the places that I want. I should have slowed this down. Yahweh versus the Assyrian gods with Hezekiah. And so it also gives these these specific people to understand that the people in the Bible are not just characters. They're actual historical persons. Hezekiah, David, Rahab, Joseph, Moses, all of these people that we can look and we can find evidence for them outside of the Bible as well as inside of the Bible. So being a museum, and again, we know that that uh, salvation and so on comes through repentance and faith. And, and this isn't specifically going to be something that saves people, but this is something that's going to go, the Bible is reliable in and what it is. Um, you can trust it, which then can lead to, I mean, Ray Comfort tells a story about a Jewish woman who got saved after reading all of the names in the Bible. This guy begat, this guy begat, this guy. There's so much there, so much evidence that the Bible is historical, reliable, and inspired by God that we should be able to take it and trust it enough to understand what it teaches us about the gospel is true and so that we can repent and put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. So, um, But by no means am I saying that just because someone comes to the knowledge of the Bible does that mean that person is saved. So different archaeological stuff, um, Daniel's prophecies, um, now we get to talk about Jesus. We're looking at the biblical record of, of Jesus, his deity, his life, his death, his resurrection. We get through all this stuff. There's more as you get towards the end, but this is just little snippets at the beginning of the museum, little bits and pieces about Jesus. Um, this was, uh, was Jesus crucified um, facts versus... Um, Crucified and resurrected, alternate issues, you know, the swooning theory, stuff like that. And then we get all these different things. The the conversion, I think that's the conversion of James, the conversion of Paul. All these different things that happened after Christ's uh, resurrection that are, are facts of why we can trust the fact that he was crucified, buried, and rose again. Um, the biblical record, Yahweh versus Greek and Roman gods, archaeological record. This was really cool uh, presentation. I got I got to talk about this a minute, though. Um, so this is all of Paul's missionary journeys. And again, the taking of the word of God to these different areas, the gospels being preached and so on. As I was watching a group of people talk about this particular map and the lady is talking to her kids and she's showing them all this stuff and this is where it all went first and then it went to these other you know and it was like and i i had to stop and i kind of interjected i said do you realize that i mean this is just paul's missionary journeys there are missionary journeys before paul that actually went down into africa first and asia and some of these other places paul the uh, simon the cyrene who carried jesus's cross the ethiopian eunuch Christianity was carried into Africa long before, well, not long before, but before it was actually carried by Paul into the rest of, of Europe and Asia and so on. So um, that was just an interesting thing that I, I would have, I mean, I would have hoped to see a little bit more of that here, but it's neither here nor there. That was just a cool thing that I saw and got to kind of chat about with some people. And I know somebody's going to tell me, you're wrong. So they talk about the different books. Here's 
the the Old Testament books that are there, the authorship, if we know who authored them or, or whatever, the times that they were written and so on. So this was a really cool thing. I wish I had gotten a better picture of it altogether, but I really didn't. Um, manuscript evidence from the New Testament and how does it work? So again, we have this this record of the New Testament writings, and uh, I can't read the numbers specifically there, but well over 25,000 um, partial and full manuscripts of the New Testament. And this is kind of a comparison to other books of antiquity at the time and the fact that nobody ever questions the authorship or the validity of the Iliad. Now, of course, we know that that's a fictional book, blah, blah, blah. But the history of Rome, history, um, natural history, these different uh, ancient writings, you know, a couple of uh, less than 2,000 copies of the Iliad or original copies or ancient manuscripts of the Iliad are in existence. Um, The author, the, the distance between the manuscripts that we have and the actual uh, writing of it. Um, so again, 400 years. So on the new Testament, 30 to eight to 30 to 50 years between the earliest manuscripts that we have and the actual writings of the books. So, and then just the, the massive amounts, which is an amazing thing. So reality, the Bible is, is true and can be trusted. Some really cool murals that were were shown and, and put up with, you know, relevance of, relevance of Genesis. You know, all the different characters in Genesis in relation to Jesus and so on. So some really cool artistic stuff in there as well. Um, so yeah, more murals. Uh, again, could God have used millions of years this uh, just kind of defeats the theistic evolution argument and so on. Some really cool stuff. Again, stuff that you, I mean, if you want to pause the video and blow up the screen and read all that stuff on there, you can. But um, I would prefer to say, hey, plan a trip and go to the museum and check it out for yourselves. So again, we got more. And now we kind of get into the, the meat of the the museum and so it's laid out in in a a walking through process of the seven seas and god's eternal plan um again when i talk about the the ark encounter you'll get more seven d's uh that are kind of interesting so um but again creation corruption catastrophe confusion christ cross and consummation so we see all these things and we get different presentations of this as we go through the, uh, the museum. And so, of course, the first place we're going to go is into the garden, the creation, the, the perfect world that God created. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Took it, you know. And so, again, we get into all of the creation, the animals, Adam naming the animals and so on. And then God going, we need man uh, to have you know, woman. And so he, he makes Eve and brings her to Adam. Uh, just an amazing, I wish the pictures that I had on my phone again, I, I, I apologize. I took some really good pictures or so I hoped I thought on a better camera that I took with me 
turned out I had a corrupted uh, SD card in there. So none of those pictures from the Creation Museum turned out or any of the pictures from the, the Ark encounter either, which I was really bummed about because I took a lot more at the Ark than I did at the Creation Museum. I took a lot with my phone and they didn't turn out really cool. But of course, there's pictures of dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden um, because it is the Creation Museum. This is my beautiful daughter hanging out. Uh, looking at stuff um, this this is this is this thing and here's where I get yeah um, beautiful presentation a, a you know exhibit of husband and wife Adam and Eve knowing his wife tastefully done we know that they're nude right all this stuff but here's this beautiful picture and people are walking through and I'm watching them walk through and look and see and oh it's so nice and everything else I noticed this. I don't think a lot of people did. Watching a lot of the people who walked through that didn't notice, as you look up into the tree above, you know, so people are walking by and, oh, Adam and Eve, they're, it's so pretty, it's so nice. Not looking up to see that in the tree right above them is a serpent waiting for his moment and his time to deceive. So, again, this is... I, I don't know. I, I probably watched nine people uh, walk through there as I was standing by this, and none of them looked up. None of them looked up and saw what was in the tree above them. Um, I don't know why I caught it. Uh, I just, I don't know. But look up. Well, if you're there while you're there, make sure you're looking around to catch everything that is there because there's a lot of stuff that you could miss. Um, but then the very next scene is Adam and Eve with this fruit. I love the fact that they made the fruit not an apple because it wasn't an apple, but something that we've never seen before. Um, it almost looks alien in here, but again, it's uh, it's an interesting um, presentation. Of course, the serpent's head is, is prominently displayed at this point, um, but this is what comes next, and I was not prepared for what came next, but, um, we go immediately from, uh, creation to, uh, it wasn't catastrophe. It was, uh, corruption. And so, and Ken Ham and the creators of the museum held nothing back with the pictures and so on that they put, um, in here. And again, through one man, Adam sin entered the world and death through sin and this and thus death spread to all men because all sin Romans 5:12 and so these I was I, I wasn't prepared to walk into this room from just having been in and again this is you're in this beautiful garden of eden area and then bam sin and and you're confronted with all of the horrors that that sin carries with it so again pain in childbirth animals are no longer uh you know docile and and you know they're they're wild and they're they're violent and um carnivores and so on nuclear war um destruction you know tornadoes and famine and so on um we have the world trade centers um you know uh, there's this little girl who's tied up uh and and now i have to to move my camera again so you can see the, the woman uh, shooting up heroin. Uh, 
So just the the jarring effect of walking from one room into the next, and and being confronted with all of these these pictures, um, on an infinitesimal level, I think there's a an idea of what God uh, experienced, uh, the feeling um, that God had when sin corrupted His world that He had created, and saw that it was very good, and then. Rebellion and sin entered in and corrupted the whole thing. And so as I walked into this room and I cried as I saw these pictures, even now as they emotionally affect me, I can't help but imagine that this is a little bit of what God's reaction was to seeing his creation corrupted in such a horrible way. And again, I mean, and this was not how it was meant to be, but... There is an answer to the sin problem. For as by one man's disobedience, many are made sinners. Also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And so, again, the fact that we take and we go into, uh, from from the creation into this sin, but yet immediately there is the promise and, and God did this with Adam and Eve. Immediately there was a promise of the Messiah. The gospel is presented, the proto-evangelion is presented for the first time within this room in and of itself. So there's, as we, as we walk in and we get just bombarded by the ugliness of what sin has brought into the world, we're given as before we walk out this, this little picture of hope. So carrying on. Again, we see Adam and Eve, animal sacrifices, God killing the animals, making, they covered themselves up with fig leaves. God said, no, I want you covered up with the skin of the animals, shedding the first blood of the animals. And uh, thus we get the, the comprehension that uh, there must, for forgiveness of sin, there must be shedding of blood. So we see the consequences of the curse. We see the cosmic pain. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel, um, the first murderer, um, again, and so we're just going through the, the, just the history of going on, uh, we get to the ark, now we're talking about the catastrophe, um, that God brought upon the land to take out the, uh, those who are wicked, um, again, uh, we get, this is, this is inside the creation museum and it gets, you know, blown up. A hundred times when you get to the Ark Encounter. But there's a couple of things that I found really great. This is my daughter looking at Noah. This. So this, the first picture that I showed there of the Ark on the waters. And it has these these two little bits of mountain sticking up. Um, and again, here we have, and this is something we don't think about. Because generally, when we think about the Ark and so on, we think cute little, uh, you know, cuddly animals in a, in a little canoe boat. We don't think about the destruction and the, the wiping out of wickedness on the earth um, that God did. But here we see the detail that was put into this model of the even people and animals trying to reach the high ground to save themselves um, when God had provided a way um, and they ignored uh, Noah. Um, and God knew they were going to ignore Noah. And so he put Noah in and created the ark, had Noah build the ark. God closed the door um, and then brought the catastrophe 
on the people. So just the, the detail that went into this was uh, amazing. And so then we move through. We see all the different things that, that are, are uh, geographical uh, events that would happen that would be something that a flood would do. The Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is not something that is created by a river over millions and millions of years. It's just not. It is something that happened rapidly with the uh, the removal of water, the, the taking away of the water after the flood. The receding of the water. That was the word I was looking for. So then we continue on. We see all these different, you know, just there's some great stuff. This is the dinosaur I talked about, Ebenezer. Um, I can't remember where he was found. I think he might have been found in, in Utah or somewhere in the area. But the most complete uh, fossilized dinosaur um, found, um, and it was almost, I think, I don't think it was 100% uh, of a, a fossilized skeleton, but close to it. Um, then we get to the confusion. So we get all these things about Babel and race. This is where um, they kind of deal with the race issue. We're all one race. Who is your brother? Everybody. We're all one race. We're all descended from Adam and Eve through Noah and his seven or his seven, his three sons and their wives and their descendants. We are all descended from the same thing. But what it is is God scattered the people across the globe and in that, and intentionally, God did this to create the diversity that, that we see in the world that God loves. The different skin colors, the different uh, languages, and so on. But we are all told that in heaven, all every tribe and tongue and nation will be represented there. There will be people from each one of these that are saved, that are coming together, and we will recognize them as our brothers. But again, the corruption in the world leads to horrible things that happen done in the name of race and color and and ethnicity that are horrifying because again there's not a a proper understanding of what the word of god says and again all of these things all of these horrible things were not uh were not inspired or um encouraged through the Bible. I mean, some people use the Bible to defend slavery and so on, but a lot of this stuff, I really uh, go get Kurt Kennedy's album, The Appendix, and C4, and listen to those two albums together. It'll take you about six and a half hours. But he talks about a lot of this stuff. A lot of the racist um, attitudes towards black came from Aristotle, came from early on, and then we get more and more of it through Darwin. And the descent of man, or as he, it's other, I can't remember the full title, but uh, issue of, of favored races. So you have between Greek philosophy and evolution, you've seen a perversion of God's word um, to, and, and people who will take those things and put it together and eisegete those things into God's word to justify the racism that happens. But it is truly not something that is ever presented in the word of God. Even the support of slavery is the way it had been done in the Americas and the Atlantic slave trade is abominable and cannot be defended by the Bible. 
with a proper understanding of what the Bible says. So again, we see more of this stuff. Um, then we get into, you know, we're getting to the life of Christ. We're getting to Christ and the cross. All the Old Testament prophecies about him, um, the response to the Savior that the people, the Old Testament foretold that the Savior would enter Jerusalem on a, a colt, the foal of a donkey, you know, all these things. I can't read all of them um, as I'm sitting here, but you can see uh, this stuff, what the Old Testament said, the death was prophesied. You know, Jesus was born, the Son of God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Um, he is God. And the, the statements that he made, Jesus is the creator. And they give you Bible verses that show, you know, John 1, 1 and so on. Um, that Jesus is not only God, Jesus is the creator God. Um, Jesus is the great I am. We, we get the I am statements that are made throughout scripture where Jesus is literally saying the same thing that God said to Moses to tell the, the Israelite people who he was, who shall I say, tell them I am that I am. Jesus made these same statements and we know that he was making these statements because the, the Jews wanted to kill him because they, they were considered him blasphemous in, in the statements that he was making. So we get into some of the teachings of Jesus the you know his betrayal his power over the natural world the power over physical ailments here's some great pictures of my wife and my daughter checking these things out i just loved just watching them go through and watching my daughter learn and get emotional again and she doesn't like it when daddy gets emotional um trying to read to her some of the gospel presentations and then i'm crying and she's like plugging her ears because daddy's crying so um again the miracles that he, he performed uh, gratuitous family shots. Um, the triumphal entry, the cleansing of the temple, the last supper, all these things that, that scripture, you know, brings together to show us uh, the leading up to the crucifixion and the cross. And then of course, those words that were coming up on Easter, it is finished where Jesus took our sin and he nailed it to the cross. He completed what he had come to do to die for the, the sins of mankind, to take upon him to live the perfect life and to take upon himself the death that we deserve so that if we will repent and put our trust in him, that he would be faithful to forgive us of our sin. And then we see the ascension. Um, we see the references to the lake of fire. Where will you be in eternity? Again, a, a presentation of the gospel for people as they come through. We see the fact that sin entered into the world through the first Adam. We see the second Adam in Christ um, coming in and, and taking away the sins of the world. Um, and again, the contrast of the gardens. Um, I don't don't take me as a Mormon. I don't believe that Jesus actually atoned in the garden or that the atonement even began in the garden. The atonement began at his birth and moved on from there. So but again, just these these amazing pictures of Adam being ejected from the garden and Jesus being dragged out of the garden um, to his, his death. And then, of course, the resurrection, he is risen. This is the last pre, uh, exhibit in the Creation Museum, and this is just about life. This is, um, I, I have a, a, a t-shirt, I got one for me and my wife, t-shirts of fear, being fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, this is just the sanctity of life, what I deal with every Friday, talking about, you know, babies being made in the image of God, and 
the horrors of, of abortion, when does human life begin, defeating popular arguments for abortion, adoption, um, what happens to a baby who dies. Just an amazing presentation in there. I have a full-length video of all the stuff. I just didn't wasn't going to put it in here um, for this. So, And then this is my daughter as we're getting ready to leave, um, doing some modeling in front of the uh, mastodon there and my wife and so on. So um, I'm going to go ahead and, and end this here for today and call this part one. I was hoping that I'd be able to do both of them together in one um, long video, uh, but we're at 40 minutes already, and so I want to cut this short and um, get this uploaded to you guys and do another video before I go to bed. So um, stay tuned for part two, probably coming up Saturday morning. I'll get that recorded and uploaded for you guys. Um, but again, if you have, if it's at all possible, make a plan, go to these, go to the Creation Museum first, because as you'll see in the next part, and this is just a bona fide teaser in part two for the Ark Encounter, no matter how tired you are from walking around the Creation Museum, the magnificence, the, the, just the, the immensity of the Ark Encounter is going to be enough to push you through to, to, to check out everything that is there. And I don't think you'll experience the same kind of uh, drained effect that I did going from the Ark first to the Creation Museum. So my advice, Creation Museum first, day one, Ark day two. Or if you're going to go the other way, do Ark day one, Creation Museum day three. Take a day to relax and rest. Get your strength back up to go through. Um, because, again, like I, I, I've said a few times, the Creation Museum is definitely a museum, and it's an amazing thing, and it's awesome. But the Ark Encounter is absolutely an encounter, and it's an amazing thing. So uh, all that to say, stay tuned for part two Saturday coming up. Thank you for taking a little bit extra time on than usual to watch. Uh, as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until Saturday, Soli Deo Gloria.